Amen. Good morning. It's so good to be with you, to have the privilege to worship with you, to pray with you, and to dig into the Word of God. We are a note-taking, Bible-believing church, so if you can, take out your Bible, take out something to take notes with. We always come with a full expectation that God's going to say something worth remembering and writing down. And so we um, have the verse that we're going to eventually turn to is that Romans 12, 1 and 2. Um, and so that's what we'll get to eventually, but that's going to be a little while with a way of a little introduction. If you've been around here for uh, more than a year or at least a year that you know that each year we seek God, we take some time together to seek God for a word, for our body, for our people, for our calling. And God has never let us down. He's always given us these great words. But for my opinion, in year two, he gave us the word above all words. And in my opinion, it's the word that every other word was built on and every word will be built on. And that word that he gave us was that we were to be Jesus people. I love that word. And I got so excited about it. It was so simple. It said so much. I love that series. And I believe that God built every one of other words on top of that. And if we'll do that, if we'll live that word, if we'll just be Jesus people, we'll be everything that Jesus asked us to be and everything that the world needs us to be. When we got that word, I immediately, I immediately thought, oh, I can't wait to preach in that series. I got lots to say. And then Andrew lit up four awesome sermons, like one after another. They were just awesome. And then Karis closed out week five. Um, with the sermon and we closed out our series and she did another phenomenal message and we moved on to our next series called I Am Pregnant. And I sat there thinking, that was fantastic. That was amazing. It actually couldn't have been better, but I never got to say anything. <laughs> I never got to tell you guys how excited I was about that word. I never got to say yes. Yes, that is our word. That's the word over our people. That is our destiny as a people. I never got to say that, so I just said it now. <laughs> I never got to speak too long, get too excited, get too emotional about that series because I was so fired up for it. And I believe that word that we are to be Jesus people. I never got to say that I believe that Jesus died so that we would be Jesus people and not just Christians, but Jesus people. And so I don't know if you can tell, but I still got something to say about that series and that word. And so Andrew's gone. He's got three weeks having a baby. Karis is gone taking care of her new baby and uh, taking care of a healing back. And, and Heather's busy doing baby. So you got me for three weeks. So, so I'm it. I got the mic for three weeks. And so guess what? Welcome back to our series, Jesus People. <laughs> yeah. There ain't no stopping me now. <laughs> and the title for this week's series is Jesus People, So Much More Than a Prayer. And if you remember from the original series, the title of that Jesus People, it was not so much chosen by a group of people as it was designated over a group of people. It was a bunch. It came out of kind of a hippie movement out of the 60s, then the 70s, and it was prescribed over these people. It was not something necessarily chose. It was how they were described as people watched how they lived their lives. In fact, Time Magazine, fully secular population, did a full big article on this movement called the Jesus, they called the Jesus people. This is, and, and they, here's some of the things that they said about those Jesus people. There is an uncommon morning freshness in this movement, a buoyant atmosphere of hope 
of love along with the usual rebel zeal. Some converts seem to enjoy translating their new faith into everyday life. Imagine that. Actually taking your faith and making a part of your everyday life. Their love seems to be more sincere than just a slogan, deeper than a fast-fading sentiment or the, of the flower children. What startles the outsider is the extraordinary sense of joy that they are able to communicate. Their lives revolve around the necessity for an intense personal relationship with that Jesus and the belief that such a relationship should condition every life. They act, listen to this, they act as if divine intervention guides their every movement and can be counted on to solve every problem. <laughs> Praise God. Jesus, people. Jesus, people. <laughs> but does anyone like me listen to this list and think, shouldn't all Christians be described like that? Isn't that how all of our lives should be described? And I'm thinking that at this time that this article was written, that Jesus had been around for 2,000 years. Christians had been around for 2,000 years. This was happening in America, which was dubbed an, a Christian country with Christians all around them. What made time write an article pronouncing these Christians so different? What was it about their lives I believe it's fully possible that the man who wrote this article could have been a Christian. And yet he was clearly saying there's something distinguishing about these Jesus people from the, all the other Christians that I'm normally around. There's no question that in Time Magazine's eyes, in a secular publication, he's saying there's something different about these Jesus people. Listen to this powerful statement made by the writer. If any... If any one mark clearly identifies them, it is their total belief in an awesome, supernatural Jesus Christ. Not just a marvelous man who lived 2,000 years ago, but a living God who is both Savior and Judge, the ruler of their destinies. Amen. But again, don't all of us live like that? Aren't we supposed to all live like that? Don't we all, Christians, believe in a living, acting, healing, miraculous King Jesus? But why did this influential publication identify and write these distinct Christians and call them Jesus people? What was it about this movement? Addressing that question begins the walk on a very thin and a dangerous line that could lead to cynicism and judgment. As we begin to dig into this question, I want to warn you, this could lead to cynicism about other churches, about other movements, about other people, and about other brothers and sisters. And I want to tell you up front, I have no interest in cynicism or judgment. In fact, I want to tell you that I spent a season cynical about the church of Jesus Christ, and I spent a season trying to measure who was doing it the most right and who is doing it the best. And I want to tell you, it was awful. One of the worst times of my life. And I will tell you, there is no room for a follower of Jesus Christ in cynicism and judgment. And I think we can all agree that the last thing this world needs right now is another cynic and another judge. So that's not what this is about. This is about us. 
This is about asking constructive questions inside this family. This isn't about them. It's not about any other church. It's not about any other people. It's not a measurement. This is about us asking ourselves, how are we doing on that word of being Jesus people? How are we doing individually? How are we doing as a group? This is nothing but family time. That's all this is. And if you find yourself starting to think about them or judge them, I'm telling you, you're missing my point and you're missing the intention and you're also going to miss the blessing. Stay focused. This is about us. Family time. The purpose of this message is to hopefully give us personally some time to reflect, hopefully hear some challenges, and I believe receive some encouragement and affirmation on how we're doing individually and as a group, as Jesus people. This is a different type of message than what I usually deliver. That's why I have all, not all, some of my journals up here. Is that when Linda and I do marriage encounter every year, we step up and we begin to share about our marriage. What we do not do is say that we are sharing the only blueprint that works for marriage. We describe it as we are opening up our journals of 38 years of marriage and we're going to share what we've been through in hopes that in us sharing our journals with you, something will actually benefit you. That's the heart of this message. I am not saying that what I'm about to describe is the only way this journey can go. I am opening up my journals to you on this, some questions that I dealt with and some things that I went through in hopes that maybe they will benefit you. I give this message in just that heart and I want to share scriptures and words and prayers and leadings that God gave me along the way. I will say, I will not say this perfectly. I will not say this perfectly, nor is my journey the only way. And I only ask you that as you listen to these words and then go out and live your life and God begins to refine and give you your own words, please promise me you'll share them with me because I want to learn from your journey too. So all of that is an introduction. Let's dive in. As I've shared, I'm, on, I'm an honest question asker and often to a fault, but sometimes, sometimes my questions actually turn out to be constructive, and God uses them to refine me and teach me something new and something more. Somewhere around 12 to 15 years ago, after I'd been walking with Jesus for about 20 years, a question began to burn in my heart that I felt like I needed to answer. And that question went something like this. With so many Christians in Indianapolis, with so many Christians in America, with so many Christians in the world as a whole, why are we not having more impact? It was a burning question on my heart. I read the scriptures and I saw that a few hundred powerless, positionless, mostly poor peasants changed an entire culture and all of society. And then you go forward a couple more hundred years and you cannot deny and can't help but see the impact Christians were having on every part of culture and every part of society. And yet I knew that I drove out of the church that I went to at that time, that I preached at, there was 8,000 people. I drove out of there. I passed three other churches. There were at least 5,000 people, along with probably seven or eight smaller churches on the way. And I had to ask the question, do you know that I live two miles from this church? Two miles. I passed seven churches before I hit Antioch. And I had to ask, do our numbers align with our impact? And in my honest 
response, I had to say no. With our numbers, with the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we could be having more impact. And I don't say that as a condemnation. I say it to us as a people as an invitation that there's more. There's so much more possible, and that, to me, gets exciting. So then the next question is, why? Like I said, I got to go the journey of, why aren't we having more impact? And when I went through that journey, I came up with three possible um, scenarios on why we are not. One is that actually the Jesus that we proclaim and that we follow is not the impact man that we thought he is. He doesn't have the power that we proclaim. He doesn't have the power we believe. doesn't have the power for change. The world may be willing to examine that claim. I am not. There is no way when you look at history, when you look at the world, when you look at the impact on the world, when you look at my history, uh uh-uh, I'm not going there. Jesus is clearly the only difference maker. And it's been proven for 2,000 years of history like no other person on the face of the earth. So option number one is not open. Number two possibility is that many Christians that claim to be Christians are actually not Christians. In other words, if our numbers are so great that we should be having more impact, but we're not having impact, then that could mean that most of the people that proclaim to be Christians actually aren't Christians. And answering this question gets trickier and a little bit more dangerous. Because we certainly know that we have people who proclaim to be Christians who are not Christians. That is true in every church. That is true in every denomination. It doesn't matter where you go. Some people who proclaim to be Christians, who are they? And who gets to call them out? And who judges that? And I have some really good news for you because this gets dangerous. And here's the really good news. It's not my job to do that. And it's not your job to decide whether somebody is a real Christian. And I'll go one step further. You don't even have the ability or the power to make that distinction correctly. So I release you from that. I release myself from that. It is not our job. Andrew and I once had a great conversation where we settled on this, when we were talking about leading the church. And we said, hey, if God is not going to ask us our opinion at any time in all of eternity on something, then we're not going to proclaim it here on earth. Seemed like a good guiding principle. Well, I am fairly certain that when God is up in heaven and ready to pass judgment on whatever a movement is, whatever a people is, whatever a person is, whatever a life is, he's not going to say, whoop, wait a minute, let me check in with Steve. (laughs) Steve, what do you think before I do this? That's not going to happen. And if he's not going to ask me ever, why do I need to offer my opinion on it here? And can I be so bold as to encourage us as a people? We don't need your opinion either. We are freed from passing that kind of judgment. Praise God. Now, that leads to the third possibility. And this one, I think, makes the most sense, and that's really good news because you want to know what? It also offers the most encouragement and the most hope. And the third one is this, that let me, well, I'm going to introduce it through the words of an African leader. I was on the board of an international ministry, and we were doing... um, 
international outreach, talked to an African leader. At that time, Africa was probably the most evangelized continent in the world. They had grown to, the claim, to proclaim about 80% of their people were Christians. This Christian leader said to us, please don't send us any more evangelists. We have lots of Christians. What we need is someone to turn the Christians into disciples. We have converts to Christianity. We do not have disciples of Jesus. And I was like, that's a good word. That gave me, I think, my answer to where I think we're struggling. And it was this comment that led me to the conclusion. We have too few Jesus people. We have Christians, but too few Jesus people. And we're invited into that. That's a word over us. We get to be those Jesus people. Lots of others too. Lots outside this church. God bless it. So this is not just ours alone. But man, this is something we can grab onto and we can claim. Are we going to be Jesus people? Can you be a convert to Christianity and not necessarily a disciple? I think the answer is yes from the scriptures. I did a dig in, and I believe the answer is yes. You can receive the grace of Jesus Christ. You can be saved for heaven. You can have that salvation, and you can have forgiveness of sin, but it does not automatically mean that you are a disciple, as the Bible describes disciples. Let me give you a couple of proofs. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go deep into this because I really ran out of time first service. So, But basically, we see Paul even. I'm just going to pick three texts. We see three times where Paul writes to the Corinthians. Corinthians are a Christian church, right? What does he write? People, you should be eating meat by now. You should be eating solid food. I'm still having to give you milk. You still look exactly like the world. He says to the Thessalonians, hey, stop quenching the spirit. Christians, stop quenching the spirit. To the Ephesian church, stop grieving the Holy Spirit. Christians can look just like the world. Christians can quench the Holy Spirit even when he's speaking. And Christians can grieve the Holy Spirit. And that's why I fear that over the last many decades, we have been so focused on conversion, on getting people to say the prayer without acknowledging that being a Jesus person is way more than saying a prayer. We've created lots and lots of converts and far, far, far fewer disciples. Someone in the life group, um, our life group, I thought asked a great question. She said, um, she, she's relatively new to, um, to Antioch, and so she was hearing us talking about going in, moving into the more, always looking for the more from God, always looking. And she asked this great question. She said, I, I love that, but what is the more? Um, didn't we receive all of the Holy Spirit at the time that we re- received Christ? And I thought, what a great question. Led to an awesome discussion in our life group. Because the answer is, according to the scriptures, yes, we did. We received all of the Spirit. But there is a process of learning to hear the Spirit, of learning to understand the Spirit, and even learning to trust the Spirit. That's what we mean when we're saying push into the more. Because we can hear and still grieve. We can hear and still quench. 
and say, no, Lord, I'm not going there. I think there's many passages, but that's what we're talking about in the more. We're talking about the more abiding in Jesus. That's what we're talking about. More abiding in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So I think there are many passages we can look at, but I, the best one in the verse that leads to the beginning of the service, or the one we read at the beginning of the service, was Paul when he writes to the Romans. And he answers, I think, some of this question. Because what do we do? And he says this. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Now, there's tons in that verse. I want to concentrate on one part of it, and that is when Paul says, renew your minds. And then if we go further in that verse, so Paul is writing to Romans, Christians or non-Christians, Christians, saying, renew your mind. To what? If we go further in the verse, he tells us, renew your mind to the fact that God's will is good, acceptable, and perfect. Wait a minute. You mean that question is in question? That God is good, acceptable, and perfect? That's in question? Not in reality, it's not. In your mind, it is. Still happening in your mind. You've got to renew your mind to the truth that God is always good, acceptable, and perfect. That doesn't automatically happen at conversion. That's a journey. So we look and we say, um, like for instance, in my journey, I struggled with money. I was driven by money. I was afraid about money. I always looked at money was going to give me security. Money was going to give me safety. Money was going to give me prestige. Money was going to give me happiness. The only problem is the more I chased it, the more I got. I never got there. I had a miraculous exchange with a guy on the side of the road, and he introduces me to a different path. I give my life to Jesus. I woke up the next morning still afraid of money. I did not automatically, in that moment of conversion, lose all of my fear of money. As a matter of fact, I woke up that next day still struggling with lust, still having fear about some things. My pride was alive and well when I woke up the next morning. I was saved. I was converted. But was I a disciple yet? I would contend no. There were lots of things I needed to renew my mind to. There was a journey for me yet to take. Saved, yes. Disciple, I would say no. Can some things change dramatically, instantly? Absolutely. We know that Jesus can stop an alcoholic from desiring a drink like that if he needs to. We know that not only can happen, we know that does happen. So that is not a question mark of whether or not he can. And for some of us, go through our conversion not a lot changes the next morning. We've got a journey to go on. It's just not instantaneous for all of us. I said that we need to go on the journey of accepting and convincing ourselves that God's will is always good, acceptable, and perfect. I taught that in a Bible study with about 13 churches represented one morning. And some men really got offended. And they said, of course we believe that God's will is good, acceptable, and perfect. And I said, I get that we think that. I said, I can only tell you that my behavior betrays that I think otherwise. Yeah. 
Because I do, in the grand umbrella, believe that God is good, acceptable, and perfect. But my behavior says that sometimes I run into things that say, in this lane, in this moment, maybe it's not good, acceptable, and perfect because I just didn't do what he told me to do. Let me give you an example. I struggled early in my marriage with lust. And I still struggled with it after my conversion. I then have counseled dozens and dozens of Christian men in this area of their life, of their struggle. Do you know what not one of them has ever said to me? Not one time in all these years has any one of them ever said to me, I didn't know God said it was wrong. There was not a knowledge problem. There was a faith problem. They knew it was wrong. What they had not renewed their mind to is, was God right when he says it's wrong? God says it's unnatural. Feels natural to me. All men do it. God says it actually steals from me. I don't know. Feels like it's given me something. And they don't stop until they renew their mind. God is good, acceptable, and perfect. But we have to acknowledge that God's ways are not our ways. What does that mean? It means categorically that a lot of God stuff that God says to us is going to sound crazy. We live by dying. We get by giving. Somebody hits us, we let them hit them again. Somebody takes one thing, we give them twice. If that doesn't sound crazy to anybody, I don't know, I got to talk to you. <laughs> and so... It's a natural thing to be able to say, I got to renew my mind that that all is actually true. I'll give you another example. Even the smaller ones, I have realized that like when I'm arguing with Linda and I shared this in the marriage thing, I'll be arguing with Linda and God will say, Steve, be quiet. Just, I got this. And literally, I know I don't, but I need three more minutes with her, Lord. I need three more minutes to say these three things because I'm telling you, Lord, she needs to hear these things before we're done. What have I just done? I've just said, God, I hear you, but you're wrong. So for this next three minutes, what do I do? Take God off the throne, put Steve on the throne, and Lord, I'll put you back on in three more minutes. And I found out I do that all the time. And my behavior betrays that there are certain things that God tells me that I say, that can't be right. That can't be right. So that's where we get stuck. And we don't heed. That's what these journals prove. These are my intersections with God's word where I had to ask myself, it doesn't feel right. What am I going to do? And these three quarters of it is probably when I would say, wait, I don't know if I'm ready, blah, blah, blah. Then the last quarter is when I did it. And here's what happened. And I keep these because these are my reminder that God is always good, acceptable, and perfect. 
We receive all the power from on high at the moment of conversion, but we still are learning the journey of renewing our mind. And God wants us to go on that journey, and I think the best way I can illustrate it to you is kind of this. God gave me this picture when I was going through this, is that I think sometimes, you guys, we have treated Christianity like it's simply an on-off switch. This soundboard has a switch. I can turn it. And that gives me power. Right? Now, if the power's not on, I can play with all these dials I want, and nothing happens, right? So nothing happens until the power turned on. Power's the Holy Spirit. So first thing that's got to happen is the power's got to get turned on. I got to ask for the gift of the Spirit. But even if the power's turned on, a lot of my buttons on my life are exactly the same place as they were before the power got turned on. This represents lust. This represents money. This represents pride. And I look and my dials are the exact same place after I switch the power switch on. So what happens? This is what Paul calls a renewing of your mind. God says, hey, Steve, let's go on a journey. Come with me. And he's so gracious because he could look at the whole board and say, all that's got to get fixed right now. But he doesn't. Instead, he looks at me, and in my case, it was money. Because again, converted, still afraid of money, still in love with money, money's still an idol. So Steve, guess where we're going? Money, aren't we? Yep. Okay, so what do I do? Read the scriptures? Yes, I'll read the scriptures all you want. Uh, it's time to stop reading. You know the scriptures. Okay, I'll pray. We prayed enough about this too. So what do we do? Do something. What do you want me to do? Give. No. I'll go back and pray some more. I'll go back and read some more. I'll find another Bible study. What I'm not going to do is give. Now, what goes through my mind in this, you guys, all the time is, why, don't I, why can't I give? I can't give. Why? I can't afford it. It will, it'll put my family in danger. It'll put my safety in danger. It'll put my security. Are those feelings real? Absolutely. I had every one of those feelings. And he says, and we're going to give in to that. And it felt like I was cutting off my right arm. Was I? Nope. Did it feel like it? Yep. And I had a choice to make right there. Because here's the choice I have. I hear you, Lord. I'm not doing it. What changes then? Nothing. No renewal of your mind. No defeat of a master. No conquering of fear. No God getting bigger. But I said yes. And I gave. So glad that was over with. Steve, give some more. No way. We barely survived this one. And now you want to go after it again. Yes, I can't. I'm telling you, 
it was a bigger amount. Can't survive that. And all the arguments, and he says, hey, Steve, can, can we look back at that first dial? Did we not go through all this the first time? Yes. How did it turn out? Pretty well. <laughs> Let's try it again. So we do it again, and then we do it again, and then we do it again, until one day I look up and say, hey, God, I think you can have it all. And he says, I don't need it. I just want you to be free. You've just renewed your mind that I am bigger than money. So God just got bigger in my life. And guess what starts to happen? You start to say, hey, God, what else do you know? And you come over to this lane, and then that's lust. And he's like, okay, here's how we're going to do this. Can't. Can you look it back over, and you build a history with God. And I don't know when this exactly happens. I really don't. I wish there was a line in the sand. But at some point, at some point, and it's never when the dials are perfect, at some point you have adjusted enough of the dials. This represents journeying with God into the mysteries of God. And eventually you've done it enough, long enough, and defeated enough masters that you are a disciple. Because even in the areas that you've not yet defeated it, there's no longer a question in your mind who's right or wrong. It's just when you're going to be able to step into it. That's a disciple. Does that make sense? God wants to take us on a journey to the mysteries of God. That's why we call it an invitation and not a destination. Salvation is not, never was supposed to be just a destination. It's an invitation. Come take a walk with me in the mysteries of God. And I will tell you things that only I know. And you will grow and you will become free. We can have the worship team come up if you guys want. So, what do you do? Well, uh, obviously, you go home and start playing with all these buttons. <laughs> Won't do any good. God's got to adjust the buttons. This is a spiritual thing. What you do is sit with him, read his word, pray, listen, and then respond. Because a disciple is going to say yes. Because he's going to know what's ahead for him or she's what's ahead for her if she just says yes again. And here's the other end of it, the sad part. If you don't go on the journey, you can be 20 years down the road and look exactly the way you did look the day you were converted. Who wants to just be saved <laughs> when we can be Jesus people? We can walk with the king and know the things of the king. That's the invitation. So today we like to be a people who respond 
to the word of God and I'm gonna pray for us, but the response that I'm asking for is just for you, me, to ask God, hey God, what do you wanna show me next? And my prayer, which is always on the end of that ask is comma, could you give me the courage and the faith to say yes when you tell me what it is? Because it still scares me sometimes. So, something may be holding you back from seeing how big God really is. This may be your time. So we're gonna have our prayer team up front and if there's something that you wanna bring, don't worry about telling anybody what it is. This isn't about counseling, it's about prayer. Come forward and pray for a breakthrough for the journey to begin on the renewal of your mind. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your journey with us. Thanks for wanting to journey with us. Thanks for wanting to do so much more than just save us for heaven. There's so much you have for us. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and faith to respond. As Peter said, it is actually the proof of our faith that is more valuable than gold. Help us, Lord, to live and prove our faith. For you are good, and you are perfect, and you are acceptable in everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. song we could ever sing worthy of all the praise we could ever bring worthy of every breath we could ever breathe we live for you Jesus the name above every other name Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We live for you. In holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes and wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. Worthy of every song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you We live for you
Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you, God. Oh, we live for you. opportunity before you left today, if you don't already, just to make that decision to follow Jesus. You know, maybe you uh, had a really strong relationship with God in the past, but you've kind of walked away, or maybe you've never fully decided to follow Jesus, and you're thinking to yourself, you know what, today is the day I need to actually do this thing for real. 
Well, I want to go ahead and lead you in a really simple prayer. You know, I was thinking about the word uh, repentance ever since Andrew talked about it a few weeks back. And he said that, you know, repentance can kind of have like a negative connotation, like I did something wrong, you know. Uh, But really, we needed to switch our thinking that repentance is such an amazing thing because it's having right perspective. It's saying, oh, okay, this is what actual freedom is. I thought that what I was doing was leading me to freedom, but it's not. The way that I've been living my life was leading me to freedom, but it's not. It's completely surrendering your life to Him. So if that's you, if you know that you want to pray this prayer with me, just go ahead and make that decision in your heart. And church, can we just join them? And can you just pray this prayer right after me? Probably nobody can hear you because of the mass. So just mean it. (laughs) Well, Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And that meant that I could live in complete freedom. I repent from the way that I've been living my life and I'm choosing to follow you for real. Would you teach me how to follow you and would you come into my heart? Amen. Amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer, congratulations. It's the best decision you could have made. (laughs) And I want you to know what your next step is if you did just pray that prayer. I want you to actually go ahead and fill out the I kind of like it here card. Go through the connect area doors. This is a new area. Uh, as he, it's literally in the title of his message that it's more than just a prayer. So we want to help you to walk with Jesus. We want to put some resources in your hand and talk to you about that. But honestly, if you're just new since quarantine, we want to give you a gift. We want to help you guys get connected. So that connect area is for you as well. Well, that's all that I have for you guys. I hope you have an amazing rest of your day.